How do you sign off on emails or letters or notes? I remember probably 10 years or so ago, people began to use a different sign-off. And I saw at the bottom of email messages and texts and so on, just the simple word blessings. And friends and new friends would sign off by saying blessings, and then off they go. And for me, it was sort of a little bit like, have a good day. And the cynical side of me said, don't tell me what kind of day to have. And the cynical spiritual side of me said, don't tell me to be blessed. Um, But actually saying blessings, while it may have become kind of commonplace now, is a very special thing to say to one another and is a very appropriate way for us to sign off on our emails or letters or even when we have been seeing each other face to face. The blessing of numbers is a wonderful Old Testament um, prayer and promise, not only for the Old Testament, but for the New Testament. It it was the prayer that the Aaronic priesthood prayed over Israel. And so we we find the text of it, you'll see the text on the screen, um, just outlining that very familiar prayer that uh, was committed to Aaron and his sons to pray over Israel. Just before and after the actual text, there are some very interesting words that are used, and uh, the way I'd like us to sort of feel our way into this is to notice very carefully the pronouns that are used. Um, Who is being addressed? uh, Who is the subject of the praying and so on? So, just before the actual blessing prayer is given, uh, we find this, speak to Aaron and to his sons saying, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, and then the prayer goes on, the Lord bless you and keep you and so on. At the end of the prayer, um, the postscript says this, so they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and I then will bless them. So I said to you, why don't you um, pay attention to the pronouns? Um, Who is saying the praying? Uh, First of all, this is a word that is given to be spoken to Aaron. So um, the instruction to Aaron and his sons was that they would bless the sons of Israel. They are called the, the subject of this praying over Israel. And at the end of the prayer, it says, so they shall invoke my name, they shall invoke my name, and I will bless them. So we have a few different pronouns. We have you speaking to the sons of Aaron, and they are blessing the children of Israel. And then at the end of it all, we're told that God is blessing them. I will bless them. And along with that, God says, I will invoke uh, my name. I will, I will bless them as they invoke my name. So as, as we kind of pan out on this and, and think about this notion of blessing and wishing a blessing on someone else, um, who gets to bless people? Well, to my chagrin, the end of the email message that says blessings is in fact a very Christian thing to do. 
It's a very biblical thing to do. And it kind of wanders back to this passage in, in number six, where the blessing to Israel is committed to Aaron and his sons. So if, if we take our biblical theology out and say, well, how, how does that pertain to us? How does that relate to us? We might remember that the Aaronic priesthood um, was described in the Old Testament as, as being a kingdom of priests. Um, and that very same phrase actually migrates into the New Testament. And we find on many occasions that we as believers in Jesus Christ are called a kingdom of priests. So who are the priests among us? How do we apply this, this promise that is prayed over the children of Israel by Aaron and his descendants? Well, they are, this, they are the priests of Israel. Um, every now and then, people have mistaken me for a priest. Mostly they have come from maybe a Catholic or high Anglican tradition. And sometimes back when we used to greet people at the door, uh, people would say to me something like, nice mass, Father. And I would just say thank you. I didn't want to clarify the fact that my wife is over there. And if I just said a mass, I was in terrible trouble because I wasn't a priest. So who are the priests? Are, are they the ones that have the clerical collar? Um, my friend is thought to be too young looking to be a pastor. So he, even though he doesn't wear a clerical collar when he's conducting a service, he wears one going to the hospital so he can get some respect. So they will believe he's actually a priest or a pastor. So what are the priests? Who are the priests among us? Well, the New Testament theology is a very strong theology about the priesthood of all believers. That we are, to one another, we are before God, priests. We are a kingdom of priests. When we find our way into Revelation, um, we, we are celebrated as being a kingdom and priests. So what those two words mean uh, have to do with the way that we relate to God or from God or on behalf of God. We will reign with Christ and we will serve um, Christ and we will serve with one another as the priests of the great kingdom that is yet to come. So when we come to number six, we actually have a way to apply that to ourselves fairly directly because we are, in fact, priests. So not only was the Aaronic priesthood the kingdom of priests that was forecast in the, the, the Pentateuch, but through the priesthood of the Old Testament, we inherit a way of relating to God and for God and to one another. We relate as a kingdom of priests. So there's no hierarchy of priests. Uh, we don't have a high priest anymore. We don't have uh, people who are um, somehow biblically uh, on a higher plane than others. We all, on, on level ground, are a kingdom of priests. And a lot of what we do as believers could be understood to be the function of priest. Um, that how we are worshiping God is that we all together are being priests, not that one person has the prerogative to serve as a priest. In fact, we remember that um, th there's only one person that really is the mediator. We, we don't need human mediators. There's only one, and that's Jesus himself, and we have all been gathered together with him 
as his priesthood. So with all of that in mind, we, we can come back to the Numbers chapter 6 um, prayer of blessing and say to pray this blessing over one another is a very biblical thing to do. We can bless one another. And when someone says to me, blessings, I ought to take a pause and be thankful for the person expressing that. Or when I sign off with the word blessings, I ought to be careful not to let it just be a, a new version of yours sincerely or whatever else. I ought to understand that I'm actually wishing something upon someone else that's called a blessing. So let's go back to the actual words that were prayed over the children of Israel. The blessing goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Three times in this blessing, the name of God is cited. And three times what we are expecting from God is related as the blessing, the ironic blessing over the children of Israel. We are expecting through the blessing that the Lord will bless and keep us, that the Lord will make his face shine on us and be gracious to us, that the Lord will lift up his countenance on us and give us peace. So as we greet one another, as we pray for one another, and we pray with the blessing in mind, we can understand that we're, we're actually imparting a threefold blessing. In three ways, we are trusting that Yahweh, and it's, it's the, the personal name of God that is used in this prayer. It's not Elohim, it's not Adonai, it's not, it's not some sense of God being a, a God, the God. It's the personal name, it's the covenant name of God that is cited. And that name, God says, is his holy name that he has given to us as his people. And so we call on the God who has given us his name, and we say, all right, if, if we track these pronouns, then some people have some responsibility concerning God's name and invoking God's name. The first thing we pray is the Lord bless you and keep you. Um, those terms are, are very important. The word bless comes from the word for a knee and from the idea of kneeling. And the very posture of the blessing was kneeling. You'll see on, on the screen the, the outstretched hands, open hands, which is sort of our way still of expressing something physically about receiving from God. And the first part of this lovely blessing is that Aaron prays over the people and they would literally kneel before the priests to receive the blessing that is being conveyed to them, the, the blessing that is being prayed over them. The, the Lord bless you, that is, kneel before the Lord, come before the Lord expecting something, and keep you. Uh, to keep you is simply the word to watch over you. And as we pray over one another the prayer that we call the blessing, we are praying that people will consciously um, position themselves before God and pray that he will keep watch over them. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later on about uh, how this all works out. I mean, the song that we've just heard is, 
is about that. Well, what if it, it doesn't work out well? Well, it, it will work out well, and it does in the meantime, according to God's sovereign plan. And more and more, we find that we are willing and able to submit to God's plan, whatever that plan is, and however it supersedes the plans that our enemy brings, the, the darts that he shoots at us. Somehow through it all, God is working his purposes. He's never surprised. The sadnesses of our world are his sadnesses as well. But they're sadnesses that he bears with an enormous hope that it will soon disappear, that the sadness will be vanquished. So in the meantime, we pray these prayers of dependence. And we pray over one another the prayer that we call the blessing. And we call on Yahweh, we call on Jehovah as we bless one another and pray that we will receive his blessing to us and that we will trust him to watch over us. In the Psalms, there is a a plethora of of examples of, of ways that the psalmist encourages us to pray. And in one of them, we're encouraged to understand that the Lord will not let us fall headlong. We may trip, but the Lord will not let us fall headlong. He will not let us come to destruction. And the difficulties of our lives over which we might say, where is the Lord watching over us in this kind of a situation? Um, Still, there is a spiritual provision that God promises to us that even though we trip and fall, even though the pathway may be very rugged, he won't let us fall headlong. He, he won't let us um, be harmed in, in an eternal, permanent kind of a way. The Lord bless you and keep you is the first thing that we commit ourselves to as we pray the blessing over one another. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Um, the idea of the face shining is, again, a, a common um, image of the Old Testament where we get a sense of God's face shining. And when you think of a person's face shining, uh, somehow it, it speaks of delight, doesn't it? That when you are delighted with something, your face could be said to have lit up. Maybe it was over Christmas when your children or grandchildren were opening their gifts, and when they opened the gift that they were greatly hoping for, their eyes lit up and their faces lit up so that we could say that in that look, there was the look of delight. I think that's what this prayer is about, that we are praying to God as we kneel before him and trust in him to watch over us, we are praying that his face would shine on us, that we would understand that the way that he looks at us is with delight, that his face is shining upon us. I often think of the idea that God is gazing upon us, and that he's sort of doting upon us, not in a grandfatherly, absent-minded kind of way, but in a doting kind of way, the way that parents in the dark of the night when their children are just going off to sleep, the way that the parents would watch over their children with with delight. The way that God looks upon us is with delight. Uh, And many, many times the struggles of our lives 
have to do with our having the wrong notion of what, what's on God's face when he's looking at us. When, when God is looking at us, he's not looking for an opportunity to scold us. He's not looking for an opportunity to correct us because we're always doing something wrong. He's not looking for an opportunity uh, to see us do better than we used to. He's looking at us with immediate and permanent fondness. He is the Father who is unquestionably doting over us. Even in the hardest situations, uh, we know that God is still looking at us with his love. The story of the prodigal son is an amazing story about the expression of God's face. And we're told that um, one of the things that notably would happen when a, a, a person tries to return to the family in which he has lost favor is, is that there would be a sort of a reenactment of something that would make it clear to the returning person that they weren't totally welcome, not welcome in the way that they once were. And some commentators have said that the reason the father ran to the son was to frustrate the attempts anyone might take for this drama of the son learning his lesson. That the first thing the son would see when the father would come to him would be the face of the father. And the face of the father was not a face of, of judgment. It was not a face of shame um, pointed at the son. It was, it was a face of love. And as we pray over one another, to pray that people would understand God's deep love for them, that, that he gazes upon them with, with devotion, with love. It's as though he calls the angels around to watch. Um, and there's a little bit of that drama in the story of Job it takes a strange turn. But at one, at one point when Satan comes with the other reporters um, to the presence of God, God says, have you noticed my servant Job? And I think what God is saying is, I am delighted in this person. And I'm delighted in what he will be and what will come out of who he is and how he will be. Um, and, and Satan then tries to frustrate that. He says, well, does he love you for no reason? He loves you because you put a hedge around him. Let me touch him. And God says, my servant Job, you may touch him. And he gives him the parameters. He gives him the limits. And at the end of it all, we, we see God speaking to everybody that will listen saying, now look at my servant Job. And he blesses them. He blesses him more than he ever was before. And we have that sense of God's doting look over his servant Job. We have the story of the Lord Jesus when he's baptized. And there's a voice that comes from heaven. And we can imagine the face of God speaking that voice when God says about his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We are so convinced that God must not be pleased with us. We're so sure of it because of the things that happened yesterday and the day before and before that, the week, the, our whole lives. We've, we've been thinking we can't really honestly please God. And yet God says, if you can understand that in my beloved, you have been fully accepted, you've been fully forgiven, and when, when I look at you, I don't see 
your failures. I, I don't see your inadequacies. I, I don't see any blemishes. I, I look through the prism of my son, and when I see you, my face shines towards you. What a thing to pray for one another for this new year, that every one of us would understand that God's look towards us is a look of a shining face, is a radiant face, um, in which he looks at his humankind and says, they're beautiful, they, they, are, they are indeed my image. They are indeed what I planned that they would be. And along with that, the, the part of this blessing says, this Lord who makes his face shine on you, may he be gracious to you. Gracious is just an all-encompassing word. Uh, as we pray for one another, we pray that the fullness of God's grace will be ours. And so every way that we think we might not be pleasing God, every way that we might think that we're deficient or that we're failing, let's pray that in each of those ways, grace will fill in the gaps. Grace is simply God giving us what we don't deserve. And, and that's, that's kind of the spirit of this whole blessing how could we dare to ask God for these things? Because he is full of grace. He is absolutely chocked full of grace. And every way in which he's disposed to behave towards us is a way that is full of grace. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. But coupled with that is this lovely theological word grace um, it, it's also a word that gives us it, it's sort of derivatives like gracious graceful and they're lovely ways to understand that the way that God's face is shining upon us is with grace he, he looks around for other ways in which he might impart his grace towards us the last part of the blessing says, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It, it literally says, the Lord turn his face towards you. And if, if you'd like to try just a little experiment here, just try just turning your head a little bit, just like this. You like that? And, and I want you to think of noticing something and turning your head to notice it. You're looking ahead, and then you turn to notice something. That's the prayer. That the Lord whose face is shining upon you, the Lord whose face is radiant upon you, turns to see you. What is it that he sees? He sees one whom he loves very, very dearly. But the very notion of his actually turning to see us, the, the very notion of his noticing us is, is one that is very powerful. That no matter what is happening in our lives, God is turning to notice that. It, it's not off to the side. It's not in the periphery of his vision. It's not beyond what is within the scope of his vision. It, all of it, is what God can turn to see. In our sicknesses, God turns 
and notices that. In our sadnesses, God turns and notices that sadness. In our joy, God turns and notices the joy, and he celebrates the joy with us. Just this whole idea that that God is not away from us, he's not detached from us. In the second part of the prayer, we we realize that he, he's just engrossed with us. And in this third part of the prayer, we realize that he, he turns and notices everything about us, all of the things in our lives, good and bad. And along with that, um, the Aaronic priests are encouraged to, to couple God's noticing with his giving peace. And the words in this little blessing are one by one just packed with meaning for us. Peace is the the term shalom. And it's not just peace that's the peace without conflict. It's peace that in in the Hebrew thinking just meant wellness. Um, To be well in, in every sense of our lives. And we need that wellness. We need that wellness physically, but we also need that wellness psychologically, and we need that wellness um, spiritually. We need things to be well that that we're able to say it is well with my soul. And no matter what happens, there is something in us that we would say, I don't know what to call this except wellness, except peace. And that is the testimony of so many followers of Christ that when times are hard, <clears throat> when life is difficult, there is this uncanny provision of God's peace where you say, I don't know why I would feel peaceful in the middle of this. These circumstances should not be making me feel peaceful. These circumstances should be making me feel anxious. And rather than feeling anxiety, I am feeling the incredible peace of God. And even, even when the Mevo camera starts, stops working, we can say, let's have peace. I think we were off for a little bit and have come back. So let me just back up a little bit and remind you that this third part of the prayer is the notion of God turning and seeing, uh, turning the face, turning the body to see something that is happening. And this lovely idea that God notices us. That um, you remember Hagar, she said, you God, see me. She was, you know, in a situation that was abysmal. And yet she realized that God saw her, that, that God turned towards her and gave her Ishmael and gave her the promise that was to come through Ishmael. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, turn towards you and give you peace. Shalom, Irene in the New Testament, that wellness, that deep being okay, no matter what else is happening outside us, being safe even though it's an unsafe time in our lives or time in our world. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let me take a moment and just, why don't we take what they're calling a deep dive into this today. So I'm suggesting to you that 
this blessing is something where there are several players. They're the players who are the Aaronic priests. They are told to bless people. So they actively are blessing Israel. And then we see that it is God himself who says he will bless Israel. So if the priests were to come to, to him and say, God, would you bless Israel? God would say, well, you bless them first. And, and they might say, well, that's not the way it should go. And God would answer, it is the way it should go. I have given you the priestly responsibility of blessing others. And when you bless others, I will bless them. I will bless them because of your blessing. And then we can apply that very broadly and in, into our very own time here and say we as priests are able to bring a blessing and we're able then to expect that God will back up that blessing with his blessing. You bless the children of Israel by this blessing and I will bless them because my name has been invoked on them. The, the only reason we can bless anyone is that we are calling on the higher court, we're calling on the higher blessing, and we're asking God to place his name on his people. It, it's, you know, it's like God putting his brand on us. So the, the priestly blessing is branding God's people as his own. And putting God's name, his reputation, his character into play in our lives. So the characters in all of this drama are the Aaronic priesthood, the children of Israel, God, us, one another. It's time thousands of years ago and it is the time of 2021. So when you sign off on your email and you say blessings, think of it in a new way or begin to say it or craft a little different blessing that might make people say, well, this is different than just saying blessings. I didn't know what that meant. But let's, let's take just a little deep dive. First of all, we might be inclined to ask the question, isn't it presumptuous to pray like this? Well, we might think so. And yet, when we consider who it is that commissions this prayer and we test it against the theology of the whole Bible, it seems to me it's not presumptuous at all. It's obedient. That we are called, we are responsible to bless one another as priests to one another. Who am I to bless others? You might say. I mean, my life isn't what it ought to be. How, how can I bless others as though I were some example or whatever? Well, I, I go back to the very beginning and, and think about Aaron and his sons and his family. They were no great catch. Saren, Aaron's sons, two of them, um, brought bad offerings to God. And there were all kinds of trouble going on. And yet, it wasn't about Aaron or the priests. It was about the blessing and who was the agent of that blessing. And so even though I might say, well, who am I to bless others? I, I have nothing out of which I should bless someone else. I would need to think that, that it's not about me. It's not because there's something in my life that I can pour into others. 
It's because God, who is the fount of blessings, right? It's because of who he is, not because of who I am. And so it is not presumptuous because we're told to do it. It is not high-minded because we understand that it is God who brings the blessing and it is not something that comes out of my life. What difference will it make to bless others? And we might say, honestly, we don't know. Because as the song said, what if? It's not like we would long for it to be. What if it's not better than it is? Still, we're encouraged to bless one another, and we have this model of the blessing. And we trust God. And we trust God, and every now and then, uh, we have a story, we have an anecdote that tells us that, oh, God was somehow or other in the mix of this. God was somehow or other making a difference. He is eternally making a difference. And certainly when we get to heaven, there are going to be rewards. And there are going to be rewards, some of which will, will align with the difficulties of lives. There will be special rewards for those who have been persecuted. There will be tremendous rewards for those who have been martyred. And we might say in the middle of martyrdom, how, how could this ever be a good thing? How could this ever be part of blessing? And yet, in retrospect, and finally, in complete retrospect, we will be able to look back and say, God was at work. It will be Joseph's, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, time and time and time again. Life is short, and especially when we see it finally in light of eternity, we will say it certainly was a breath. That wasn't just an expression, that it was a breath. It really was comparatively speaking, short, passing, and now eternity is forever. Like we thought the other, other week that the, the story of our lives is just the preface. It's not even the first chapter of all that is still to be written. Here's another question as, as we take a bit of a deep dive. Honestly speaking, what if I feel like cursing somebody instead of blessing them? And Let's be honest, that might be our first inclination. So I, I give you driving as my prime example. Some guy cuts you off. You're going to bless him? If you bless him, the words that come out of your mouth are maybe blessing words, but they're not from your heart. I remember years ago, um, I was at a funeral, and I, I think it was a new funeral director. It was a young woman, as it so happened. And as we turned a corner between the funeral home and the cemetery, um, a car rushed the intersection and cut off the funeral car. And times have changed. It used to be that everybody would pay respect to a funeral. Uh, every pe- men would take off their hats. Everyone would stand and you know clutch their 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 chest or or bow towards. You'd even get a police escort. Uh, nowadays, you have to get a parade permit in the city of New York to even have a, a processional. But anyway, this 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 young uh, funeral director, when the other driver cut her off, she rolled down her window, and she shouted out the window, "Let's see what happens when it's your mother's funeral." And I thought, "Oh my goodness, that was pretty rough." So I said, "Is." Been kind of a hard day. She says, ah, she says, these drivers, they pay no attention to a funeral procession. 
Well, she was not inclined, let's just say, to bless the person. Maybe because I was a pastor, she held her tongue. And she said the typical thing that people say about pastors, forgive my French pastor, right? What if you feel like cursing somebody instead of blessing them? Does the Bible countenance cursing? It, it does. Um, in Romans 12, we're told to bless, not curse, those who persecute us or, or whatever else. I think the Bible acknowledges that we could curse, but it extols that we can bless. So whatever curse word is your favorite, maybe for this year, for the year 2021, promise yourself that you won't say that curse word. Um, or, or that when you're inclined to say whatever it is, and curse is a very strong word, we, we may use the word insult, the biblical word insult. Don't, don't repay insult with insult, but with blessing. What if we could actually train ourselves through our spirit into our soul into our body to not respond in kind? And when we are led by our humanness and our sinfulness and our fallenness to retaliate, what if we somehow or other could turn that around into blessing? If we're able to do that, the payoff is not only for the person who is not cursed any longer, the payoff is for us. Psychologists will tell us that we, we are healthier emotionally if we are forgiving people, blessing people rather than cursing or insulting people. So what if we watch for the opportunity and realize that right here was a chance to get my own back? You know, maybe she cut in front of you in the grocery line. I said she. I didn't mean that it was only happening that way. But what if he cut in front of you in the grocery line? What if you can somehow turn that into blessing, to turn that into a prayer, into a sincere prayer for the other person? So the Bible acknowledges that we can curse one another. And, and I'm sure along with that, to the degree that we understand that there is an impact by blessing one another, there is surely an impact by cursing one another. We can devalue one another by the things that we say. And when we talk about those who have sort of a priestly responsibility to bless others, we might gather into that group, the, the group of parents. Parents have a high responsibility, a priestly responsibility to bless their children. And we might say, well, no parent would ever curse their children, but again, soften up the word and say that many times what a parent might say to a child is not blessing, but it's a, it's a, scoffing or a shaming or um, a dismissing. It's, it, it's ignoring. It's saying, well, you should have done better or it's comparing or wh whatever it is. But whatever it is, the person shrinks before. Rather than being godlike in the sense that the demeanor of a priestly parent would be full of love and light, uh, the demeanor of a godly parent that would turn towards instead of ignoring if we were like that, our children would be healthier children. We have priestly responsibilities for one another.
So is there a special application? The theology of the Bible is the theology of the priesthood of all believers. We all have the privilege of blessing one another. And with these, you know, perhaps hesitations put out of the way, we can launch ahead and do it. But among us, there are those who have priestly responsibilities in, in the sense that just like the Aaronic priesthood, they were designated as those that should bless others, that should have a priestly overcare of others. Those are government officials. Those are family leaders, the parents, the moms, the dads, the grandparents. Those are the husbands of our families, the husbands and wives of our families. Those are the pastors of our churches. These are the bosses of our, our, our work situation. So in, in many ways, without asserting any kind of a rank, we're saying there, there are those among us who ought to give thought to the fact that they can be agents of blessing because of their priesthood among the people with whom they live and with whom they have to do. Isaac had a special blessing to give to his children. Was it to be Esau or Jacob? And the whole struggle between those two boys was over the blessing, whether it was present or not, whether it was for them or not. We, on the other hand, have a God, our Abba Father, who is even-handed entirely in all of his blessing. His blessing is for everyone. He doesn't say, well, you get the first blessing and you get the second. He doesn't say you have the right order to get the blessing now. He simply says that his grace is ample and that he's able to, to bless all. Speak to the sons of Aaron, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, May the Lord. So they shall invoke my name on the children of Israel, and I then will bless them. I wonder if, as we close, we might just dwell on this blessing. And let me pray a blessing over you with the hesitation that comes to anyone saying they have a right or a prerogative to bless. But if we were to see ourselves kneeling, or maybe because you're at home in your living room, you can kneel. And you can show by your, your, your physical posture that you're receiving a blessing. I don't give a blessing to you just because I'm a pastor and can give you a blessing. You could all bless one another and should. But I have the chance now because I'm talking about this and because I have a role of loving and caring for you as those in um, the fold that is here at Southside. So Southside, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And we're told that the Lord will bless his people. His name will be upon them and he will give them blessing. We're going to come to a time of taking communion and there is no greater example of the blessing of God. Uh, the blessing of the table is a wonderful rhythm of our lives. When we take bread and wine together and we remember 
the incredible grace, uh, the incredible peace that has been brought to us by the blessing of God through his son and through his sacrifice for us. If you're at home and your kids are nearby, this is a great opportunity just to do this and to explain why it is that you do. Why is it, mummy, that you're taking that wine or juice? Why is it, daddy, that you're taking that bread? That was a a Jewish tradition, wasn't it, to to have children ask questions of their parents um, on Passover. Why is this night different from any other night? Our children might ask, why do you do this? Why do you take this bread and this wine? Why do you do this? And we can, ex- we can say what it is, what it means. So maybe this is an opportunity for you today. And if, if you've been able to um, come across some juice or wine and you have it at hand, and if you have some bread at hand, then I encourage you to join me as we remember the Lord the way that he told us to remember him. So similarly, as God told the Aaronic priests to bless people, he told his children by the Lord Jesus to do this to remember him and to do it until he returns. So we remember that on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And then he took the wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink and remember me. We're going to have the opportunity just to take a little bit of time. And in that time, you can hear the same soundtrack as we heard earlier on with the psalm passages read over it. But without the words this time, just the music. And maybe this is an important time in your life just to remember the Lord, to decide that you will, on a regular basis, come to him, come to the table, come to remember him, his body and his blood. And may this be a time in which you allow the blessing to rest in your lives.